Let's pray, and then uh, we'll take our, our journey through Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious and holy word, and, and for Christ, our, our forerunner, our, our, you know, our example in humility and in, and in love and service for one another. I pray, Lord, that we uh, would just be able to walk through this text and see what the Apostle Paul was was emphasizing to the Philippians, and help it help us to to apply it to us as well today. For this text certainly does, and I pray that we would see Christ magnified and glorified in the Carmen Christi in the middle of this passage, and that we would just see uh, our need for Him and and for uh, our sanctification as well. I pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter two. Uh, Emilio approached me and asked me to uh, to teach uh, on this passage. So, uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna dive right in. The context uh, we're gonna be going in Philippians chapter two, verses one through eighteen. But the context really begins at the end of chapter one. So I'll begin reading chapter 1, verse 27, and then really um, I'll skip the, uh, the chapter divide and just continue reading down through verse 18. So um, here's what the Word of God says. It says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, 
children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Amen. Paul begins um, this, you know, this, this is part of the section of Philippians known as the, the exhortations. Paul exhorting the Philippians to, to certain things. And um, he begins in verse 27 of chapter 1, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Really, you know, he's, he's saying, live as though, you know, live in light of the gospel. Be gospel-centered. So that when I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you're standing firm, in essence, united. He's urging them, he's exhorting them to, for, to unity in Christ. Unity in the gospel. One faith, one gospel, one purpose for them. In the beginning of chapter 2, he, he poses four questions that really pry into the heart of the church of Philippi. This church is in danger of becoming split, of being, dis, of being not united, and Paul is urging them to that unity. All churches, this, is, you know, this will apply to us as well. We are all, including Heritage Grace, we're a very united church. We are, we are vulnerable and susceptible to this disunity, and this is one, one uh, passage that we need to really take to heart and obey, apply to us so that we can be united and stay united as a church. We must guard against this. And thankfully, in you know, the, the way that the Holy Spirit has inspired the Word, He's given us this practical things. He knows that churches are vulnerable to this. And you know, Paul really just kind of in verses one and two there, he says, "Make my joy complete to be, uh, you know, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Every church should be united for one purpose: the gospel." And then in verses three and four, you know, he, he really answers the question: So how do we, in, you know, find encouragement in Christ? And how is there any consolation of love if there's any fellowship of the Spirit? He answers these questions. How do, the, how do we put our feet? How do we do these things? And he said, it's very simple. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And he, he, he's really preaching to the Philippians here. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Especially here in the United States today, we are very, we are a very self-centered people as a nation, and we as Christians must guard against that, and not look to ourselves, but look to Christ and His example. And Paul gives us that. You know, there, you know, there can be no encouragement in Christ or consolation of love, fellowship of the Spirit, or affection and compassion if we are only looking out for our own personal interests. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And really the, the, the antithesis of, of humility is, is pride. We are to you know, look, for, you know, look out for others, not merely ourselves. And God's resisting, God resists that kind of proud mind and proud heart, and it really shows the truth of the heart of man who, who is at, at its base pride, prideful. 
in verses 5 through 11, this is what is commonly known as the Carmen Christi, the, 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 the hymn sung to Christ as to God. And he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul's exhorting the Philippians, and he says, there's, 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 no, uh, there's no better illustration of this humility than Christ himself. And then he begins, and this, you know, this is, you know, as in, in essence, an old ancient hymn of the early church sung to Christ. Verse 6, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, we see, first of all, Christ is eternal. He's pre-existent as a person of the Godhead, not simply as a creation of God the Father, as many uh, non-Trinitarians believe. We see that um, he, the beginning of the humility there in verse 6 is that he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't need to hold on to that. He relinquished that. Not the, not, not the, the exact... You know, he didn't relinquish his deity by any stretch, no, but he, he laid down his, his rights as God in the flesh by taking on flesh. Verse 7, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see the exalted, you know, the exalted you know, vision of God from Isaiah. John, the Gospel of John tells us that this is Christ on his throne, exalted, lofty, high and lifted up. And what does Isaiah do when he sees God enthroned? He falls at his feet. He says, woe is me. He pronounces a curse upon himself. For I am undone, he says. This lofty, exalted God humiliated himself by taking on finiteness. God being eternal and infinite cannot empty himself but by adding to himself the finite, the, the, the limited and he did, and that, and if that wasn't enough humility for Christ, you know, he didn't regard you know this equality with the eternal God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being made in the likeness of the created thing, the Creator, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And if that wasn't enough, it goes even further. Death by crucifixion is the most reprehensible form of, of death in history. I mean, if, if you were to walk around the, the, uh, the streets in ancient Rome and you would see you know, crucified people, it was not something that you would laugh at. They would scoff. It was reserved for the, most, the vilest of criminals. Historically, it wasn't something that you know, the, noble, the noble would not be crucified but the, the thieves and the murderers would be. And that's what Christ did. Christ humiliated himself to the point of crucifixion. And Paul is using that as an illustration for us. If we must be willing to lay aside our rights for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ, united for one purpose, our humble service for one another. And there is no other... <laughs> there, you can't and you outdo this illustration that Paul is giving the Philippians. Not, not in any stretch. But notice, you, know, you wouldn't, you know, walking down the, you know, the, the street in Nazareth, if you were to see Christ, he, would, he wouldn't be glowing, as many of the, the paintings you know, show. But he, he was humbled, and he looked like 
us. He was fully human. This is a marvelous text on the you know, of the two natures of Christ being fully God, fully deity, the creator God, the eternal God, and yet fully man. Limited in his in where he is at, and yet limited in what he can do, and not showing his glory except for a short time on the Mount of Transfiguration. And we must have a fully human and fully divine Savior, or we don't have a gospel. And notice verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is curios, is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. During this time, you know, under the Roman oppression, you you couldn't you you had to you know pronounce Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God in essence, and the Christians would not do so, for obvious reasons. <laughs> we serve Christ; we do not serve any other. And what what Paul is showing here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that God has exalted Christ, who humiliated Himself to the point to the lowest of lows. And he, being our Savior, is exalted to the right hand of his Father. And he is Lord. And he is King of Kings. I mean, there's just there's so much here that we, we really could, we could spend all our time just in, this, in, the, in these passages. But one thing that Paul is saying, and, you know, with, he's given the illustration of, you know, of Christ, and he's saying in verse 5, Let this mind, let this attitude be in yourselves. We are to be as Christ was and is. Paul is saying that we are to have this mind, this mindset, this attitude. If Christ can be humiliated to the point of death by crucifixion, then we are to regard each other as better than ourselves. We are to be as, you know, as dust before our brothers. If, or if our brother needs something, you know, sell our house, sell, sell whatever to give to, to be, to, for his need and for his betterment. That is really... You know, that kind of sacrifice is what Christ did, and God has exalted him. He emptied himself by adding to his nature the finite. I mean, just wow. Just, uh, and that is the ultimate um, act of humility. Amen. It is. The creator of the universe. He could have died any other way. You know, but he, maybe an arrow yeah. through the heart or whatever it was, but he went to the lowest form of. He he emptied his blood, you know, in that sense. How 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 much more should we, as the body of Christ, come alongside, edify, encourage, build up one Amen. another? You know, seeing what he did. Exactly. I think that just strengthens you know, the church itself. It does. When we see, and especially we we have our uh, Lord's Supper service you know, in just a few minutes, we're going to really be focused on the crucifixion and you know, the death and resurrection of Christ. In our, in, we should each of us individually, you know, really examine ourselves in that in that light to see. But we see his example here. You know, we see what he went through, and you know, it should it should break our hearts. The hymns we're going to sing are very are are tender are you know bent toward that today. You know, he, you know, the sacrifice of Christ. We could just we could you know, we could sit on that all day, and not reach the end of it. And I know I'm just scratching the surface, but um, just to consider it, the Creator, 
he spoke the world into existence and what does his creation do in his crucifixion but spit in his face beat him nail him to wood to a cross and I mean what humiliation what if we if I were to you know, say we were to you know make a, a clay anything and you know a, a clay man and for whatever reason he were to come to life this is a, you know not a perfect illustration but and then that clay man was supposed to was to turn against us what would we do as as humans we would destroy him and rightfully so but yet what does Christ do for his creation that he loves he saves us he takes our place there's I mean there's no higher um grace and mercy than Christ's for sure we have not arrived you know in our in our full depth of understanding of this issue of this topic but we uh, we, we just need to bask in that all all the day Paul then continues he, he he's really this is one of the key theological you know, Christological texts of of the Bible of the New Testament is Philippians 2 5 through 11 but he continues says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He's saying, look, I know you're going to obey this, but here, obey it. <laughs> you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why tremble but to, but to understand what Christ went through for the sake of his people? Why fear God but, for, but to realize that it is the eternal God whom we crucified? And, know, and understand that God is at work in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He's pleased to save His people. He's pleased. It pleases Him to see us grow in this knowledge of Christ, to grow in our obedience to Him as His children. Paul continues, you know, he just says, we have not arrived. You know, Paul later on in Philippians you know, says that he, isn't, he himself has not attained you know, perfection in his, in his sanctification. But God keeps on working on us for his pleasure and he is pleased to grow up as, as his children. You know, verse, uh, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I mean, who's going to grumble and dispute whenever we keep Christ in our minds <laughs> for all that he's done? And notice, you know, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Boy, boy doesn't, doesn't that speak to us today? You know, our, our generation today is very... Crooked and perverse for, for lack, you know, you can't beat these terms. But we are, you know, to be blameless and innocent, and we prove that by our obedience to, you know, to being humble and, and serving one another. You know, we are innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. We, Keith. Yeah, that even has. Talking about um, that last week, as far as the uh, evangelism, mm-hmm. you know, we keep that that image of Christ, or um, just just remember how Christ was when we're sharing the gospel. You know, not to be so puffed up or whatever, but yet we would be uh, humble, so that we would yeah. be blameless. You know, in right. front of a crooked and perverse world. 
Right. We let it never be said of us when we're out evangelizing that we are that we are crooked and perverse. You know that we are the hypocrite uh, when we're giving this gospel of grace. And you know, you know, Trish, you've seen it, and so many others. You know, Chris, all of us, we've seen you know the men out there who are who are trying to start a fist fight over themselves and trying to get hit so they can get money, but yet all for the sake, all in the name of, oh, I'm preaching the gospel. Well, no, you're not. You're you're being a stumbling block and you're you're being a wall, and you're not representing Christ when you do things like that. And you know, we we as well should be humble. Christ was bold, but he was bold in a very, very compassionate way, a very loving way. You know, I think it's in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, it says, when he saw the crowds, he, he went up into a mountain, and he was set, and his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. He saw the multitudes. Another passage, passage talks about how he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Sheep without shepherd, exactly. And that should be us as well. We should stand as lights, and by all means, when you turn on a, you know, the light in a, in a dark room where there are insects, what do the insects do but scatter and run for the darkness? Same for all you know, un, unregenerate people. They hate the light. That's what Christ said. In, John 3, in, in the Gospel of John, that he who comes to the light you know, is, is one who's drawn to it. You know, we we as we as, as Christians should be that loving. It shine the light. Yes, that is a loving thing to do, and pray that God changes their nature. I like the one of the conversations that Rob posted this weekend with Sightin Reverend Gabe. Mm-hmm. He was talking about like there's goats and there's sheep, and we're not trying to convert the goat into a sheep because a goat's a goat, a sheep's a sheep. And Christ said that my sheep will hear my voice, and so right. our you know we should have compassion for the souls out there and just share share Christ in the gospel so that the, the sheep would hear his voice. We don't know who yeah. they are, but we should try yeah, to the sheep. argue to win an argument. Right. The argument's won, and we just need to share that the truth so that the sheep you know, come to the shepherd. Right. The truth is there. The truth, God's truth does not fail. So there's no need to try and win an argument for the sake of that, like you're saying. Preach the truth, and God's, God will draw his people. Paul in verses fourteen through eighteen, he's ending his his exhortations to to this to this group of people, you know, and he he's saying, you know, do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, holding it strong, holding tight to it. So that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. He's really he's appealing to them on a personal level. He's like, hey, I didn't work hard, and I didn't work so that you can fall away, so that you can fail in this issue. That's what Paul is really saying. He's like, look, you know, he he's saying that I I will have reason to glory that you have obeyed, as as the Philippian church, but us as us today. We need to strive for, for the same kind of heart. Knowing that in the day of Christ, at the second coming, when the judgment happens and we will stand before God and give an account, those who've gone before us and taught us will be able to say that they didn't toil in vain or labor in vain. But even, Paul says in verse 17, but even if I am poured out 
as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And he says, verse 18, you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. We as Christians, we are are joyful people because of Christ. Because of this this uh, illustration you know, that, that, Christ, that Paul gave about Christ. But notice in chapter 1, verse 9, it says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of of our God. You know, it's a sober thing what Paul is saying in both chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. He says, Paul you know, is, you know, he ends this exhortation, you know, this sermon to them with great encouragement and sobriety. And that we will stand before God and give an account. Let us hold fast, as heritage grace, let us hold fast the word of life. Let this humility and and unity drive us to serve one another happily and united in our purpose to live out the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of our God. I mean, we as Christians, we we are to live as as we are, as we are Christ's. We are not just to be antinomian. You can't say you're a Christian and live as though you're in the world. It's a it's hypocritical. It's a it's it doesn't fit. It'd be like telling a goat to live like a sheep. It'd be like telling you know, a rat to become something else. It doesn't. It, they're completely different natures, and that's what that's what Paul is getting at. That we as as Christians we've been changed. That. You know, it, it has been granted to us to believe and to suffer, as it says in uh, chapter 1, verse uh, verse 29. It's been granted for Christ's sake that we believe and suffer for His sake. This this you know great work of God in us, He doesn't save us and leave us to do what we will. He saves us and grows us and changes us, conforms us to the image of Christ. And that should be our goal. Whereas it says... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We are to work towards this goal, knowing that God is with us, working with us and for us, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And we, you know, we as Christians, let's, you know, it's it's a little bit of a shorter time today, but let's just focus on this. Trisha. I was just going to say, Jonathan, that you know, it's interesting that Paul, just in chapter one, you know, of Philippians, like in verse three, how he's talking about how he's thanking God in all of his remembrance of you, you know, the church, right? Right. Always offering prayers. So it's interesting, you know, when he remembers the church, it causes him to thank God. You know, it brings praise. So when he's thinking of the church, it makes him praise the Lord. And then, you know, it makes him want to pray. And then it says he has joy. And what's the reason why? You know, verse 5, in view of the participation in the gospel from this you know, this first day until now. So it's interesting, mm-hmm. like it was their, their, evan- their evangelism, their, right. the, somehow the, their participation in the gospel, furthering the gospel. Right. And, and even partaking of the gospel, you know, per, you know, partaking and participating in the evangelism, but also partaking in the same 
you know, the same gifts because verse 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Yeah, and then, you know, and then if you go down to verse, what is it, 27? You mm-hmm. know where he's saying in chapter 1, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I'm absent or come to see or I'm, I, I will hear that you are standing firm, you know, in one spirit and one mind, striving together. Why? For, for the faith of the gospel. Amen. And not being alarmed by your opponents. You know, which showing that we will be somehow advancing, right? Yeah. Somehow we're going to have it. You we're going to be moving forward. You, you're not going to have an opponent. Right. Which means that we need to be united so that we can stand, you know. Right. And if we're and divided, then it's hard to stand against. It, exactly. Christ, you know, the, the house divided against itself cannot stand. Um, yeah. We as a local church must be united uh, on the gospel, advancing the gospel. And we are, we're good at that, but... As Paul said, you know, we have not attained. You know, we we need to always work to better our you know our advancement of the gospel and uni- and united for that one purpose. Amen. Yeah, Jonathan, I just wanted to say um, I'm not sure how many folks may have appreciated like what you do with this text because uh, not that it's an error, but many people like get distracted with the teaching. Um, concerning like the fact that Jesus is God here, it's like one of the most explicit texts on the deity of Christ. Exactly. And, and often like we're apologetically minded, evangelistically minded, so we just go here to prove, hey, look, the scriptures clearly teach that Jesus is God. But it's interesting that that's not even the reason. That's not even what Paul's writing about. Paul's writing, you know, to encourage the church to unity and, and humility yeah. by proving the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. So, you know. So it's interesting to see how you maintain. Uh, authorial intent of this passage going through it, right? So that's yeah. that's just a good example of not that I mean you could go off on the deity of Christ here because I I say it is right. one of the most explicit texts, but mm-hmm. like you maintain the the argument of the of the apostle, right? Which is is good for us to see and not get distracted by almost secondary amen. aspects of the text. So I, that was good that you did that. Oh. Amen. Yeah, amen. It's uh, you know we we must by all means defend our faith but in context and the context really um, to me is is the key to all scriptural interpretation therefore that's why we uh, we take such a long passage of of scripture and just walk through it Um, and obviously things could go a lot deeper you know in in our study of each individual passage each individual verse but at the same time seeing the, the big picture of what Paul was intending um, you know, is, is is vital, I think, to our practical everyday lives and why we should apply this text to our lives in such a way where we are taking the example of Christ and applying it to us and, and living that out. And that's what that's what we should be doing as as Christians. So. Amen. Chris? I just wanted to add, it, I think that, I know that's a perfect example to, to in view of... Uh, God's majesty and his just his splendor to show how much he humbled himself as an example to how we should serve one another how I mean that just overshadows any excuses people that we might have to say well you know I'm not going to do it because of this because you see God humbling himself being exalted in heaven you know being higher and loftier than any anything being the creator and coming down and existing with his creation Taking the form of his creation. I mean, how humbling is that? How humble is that? 
Amen. And taking it to the lowest of lows by death. Yes. And death by crucifixion. And I think that that's why Paul you know, really emphasizes, you know, he became obedient to the point of death and then adding even the death, you know, on a cross. You know, there's no, you know, Paul later on in, a, in other places says, you know, if a man comes and he's got nice clothes and all this, you, know, you don't put him in the, 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 you know, the front area, real nice chair, but, and then the, the guy who's poor, you don't put him you know, over in the back or on the side. We're all united in Christ, the foot is level, or the, the the ground is level at the foot of of the cross. We're all sinners, whether we're rich sinners or poor sinners, we're still sinners. We still need Christ. So whether you're Donald Trump, Bill Gates, or or the homeless man on the street, so Amen. Thank you. Yeah, this is pretty humbling, though, because you can you can use this text really for any area in your life if you truly um, apply it. Say your job, your family, friends, evangelism, whatever it may be, you can use this as far as holding fast to our confession of faith, but yet humbling ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's so important that we look to this and preach the gospel to ourselves in these situations. Amen. I mean, just to think, you know, how humbling is it just that Christ came down and all that, but then what, you know, the wonder of it all is that. He loves us. He did all that not just to do it. He did it for the specific reason of redeeming his people, which we are all apart individually. And, you know, that's just, it's a marvelous thing to think about that Christ went through that humiliation. And it's encouraging that he is now exalted so high, but that humiliation is really what we're focusing on, how that is that should be our, our daily life, our daily walk. Well, if there's if there's anything else, then if there's nothing else, then let's let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ, for what He's done. Thank you for this passage and, and peeling back the layers so we can see the inner Trinitarian work that Christ has done with you in saving your people. Father, I pray that we would just just take this passage to heart. Lord, help me to apply it to myself and and be an example for, for other believers to do the same. Help us to see Christ crucified buried and resurrected and now exalted. Help us to exalt Christ today in our worship. For He is most deserving of all worship. We could say thank you for all eternity and it wouldn't be enough. Lord, help us. Please be with Landon as he's preaching later as well. Lord, just help him. And uh, just accept our worship today as a sweet savor and a small token of our gratitude for what Christ has done for us. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.